While he was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher any longer. And when Jesus heard this, he replied, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him. Interesting, right? When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him. Except Peter, James, and John, and the child's father and mother. The people were weeping and wailing for her. But he said, don't weep, for she's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. They were weeping and wailing for her, but he said, she's not, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. He took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she got up. And then he directed them to give her something to eat, one of my favorite things Jesus ever did. I don't know why. I think, I think the reason it's one of my favorite things he ever did is because it's so dramatic. He's raising her from the dead. It's so dramatic. And he takes the time to give a child a little wink, a little wink and a smile. And hey, get her something to eat. <laughs> He's still just taking good care of hearts, just being a good, like a loving, warm person who sees the person. You know what I mean? He's not consumed with this big Messiah thing, his mission big, important, spiritual thing. Get her a sandwich. I love that. Raised her from the dead? Get her a sandwich. Wink. See you, sweetheart. You have a good rest of your day. Child, get up. Her spirit returned. She got up at once. He directed them to give her something to eat, and her parents were astounded. But he ordered them not to tell what happened. Classic Jesus. He is so not interested in drawing a crowd. He does not care about numbers at all. You know what he cares about? He cares about in the, in the people he encounters manifesting and giving away to them what the Father is revealing to him in that moment. That's all he cares about. He's not trying to get a big crowd of people following him. In fact, the more people follow him, the more he tries to get away to get back to doing what he wants to do. He's not interested in the big... Like I, he wouldn't like the microphone, because he's much more interested in being up close and having eye contact with people. He's willing to teach the crowds because they need to be taught. Out of compassion, he'll teach the crowds, but his preference is the individual. I wonder if it might be why he's like, oh my word, I can't wait till the Spirit is poured out on my people so, we can, so I can multiply. Have you ever wanted to multiply yourself to where you can get more done? Because there's just one of you and there's too much to do. I don't know. Did Matthew say that? Did you say yes? Who said yes? Because I say yes too. Here's where I'm headed with this. Was this a faith environment? Did Jesus walk into an environment of faith when he healed this little girl? They're wailing. They're weeping. And, and Jesus says, everybody get out. You are disrupting what God is doing. I bet a few people in faith is a better atmosphere than a big crowd that isn't. And sometimes we're, when, when something goes wrong, we try to get as many people praying as possible as though the strength is in the numbers. So for example, 
you have 12 spies go into the promised land. And the point of them going to the promised land was to talk about how amazing the land was. Wasn't that the point? That was the point. The point was so that they would come back and say, look how awesome the land is that God promised us. It's even better than we expected. Now let's go get it. But instead, what happened? 10 of the spies came back and they said, guys, we didn't see this coming. There's giants in the land. Yeah, there's giant grapes and whatnot. Yeah, there's houses. Yeah, there's vineyards. Yeah, there's fields. Yeah, there's flocks and herds. But there's giants. The 10 spies, when they talked about the giants, they stirred the people up. The 10 spies say, we are so small compared to these giants that we looked like grasshoppers. And so then that report, what they spoke over the people got in their brains, and they looked at Moses, and they said, you brought us out here to die. You brought us all the way from Egypt to die. And Moses tore his clothes, fell on the ground, and wept. And and now he's got a crisis on his hands because the report of the minority has infected the majority with fear and unbelief. And they were right there on the verge of entering in. I find it so fascinating. Jesus says, uh, no, one's in, no one's coming in with this girl, to, to this girl except for my inner circle and the parents. And even though they're outside weeping and wailing and laughing at him, he didn't let that atmosphere of unbelief get inside him. And I know we talk about this story an awful lot, but it says that when Jesus was in his hometown... When he was in his hometown, the people were like, who is this? This is Jesus. We know his brothers. We know his sisters. He grew up here. Who does he think he is? And they got offended at him. And it says that Jesus could do no mighty work there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And by the way, when we lay our hands on a few sick people and heal them, we call that a good day. And so sometimes what I think happens to us is when we perceive unbelief in our atmosphere, we go, oh, might as well not pray for the sick today. Might as well not preach today. Might as well not share Jesus today. Might as well not sing with passion today. We wait to sing with passion until we're in a room where we won't stand out. Oh, so-and-so's in a foul mood. I better put my walls up and not be joyful or they're going to stomp on my heart. I better stifle my joy to walk around them and not offend them today. I was going to have a good day, but since they're having a bad day, now I have to have a bad day. As soon as they start to complain, I can't have peace. As long as they're whining and complaining and being negative, I can't have peace. As long as there's 10 spies giving an evil report, I can't stand in faith. We could just, we, I could go into that promised land if it weren't for them. And Jesus says, y'all stay out here. I'm going in. I'm healing this girl. Your unbelief is not the Father's voice, and I'm not led by the atmosphere. I'm not limited by your unbelief. I'm walking in the Father. I'm not spiritual. I'm spirit-led. Spiritual climates are real, and sometimes you can sense them. If you don't know who you are in Jesus, then you can't recognize spiritual environments because you don't know what's yours, and you don't know what's not yours. There's a, a form of prayer that I do with people where we, we let the Holy Spirit take lies and wounds and... We bring them into his presence and we let him walk us through them and we we let him expose the lie, heal the wound, 
remove the lie, we break our agreement with it, forgive who we need to forgive, repent of what we need to f- repent of, and then, we, and then we have truth implanted in us. It takes a bit, it takes a minute. And that process, that process helps us do what Jesus talked about in John chapter 8 when he said, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples for real, and then you're going to know the truth, and the truth, when you really know it, when you really know it in your knower, down here, not up here, down in here. When you know it down in here, you'll be free. So if truth makes us free, what do you think makes us enslaved? Lies. And we know this, don't we? That our battle is not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but our enemy is spiritual. And if there's a spiritual enemy, and there is, and if there's a spiritual war, and there is, and if lies are the enemy's strategy, then one of the sneaky tricks of the evil one is to not be seen, to plant lies, but make you think it's your thought. To plant lies in other people, sins in other people, agendas of evil in other people, and make you think it's coming from them instead of attaching to them so that you end up fighting against them instead of the spiritual power that's got them captive. And one of the things we do in the prayer times, the listening prayer times, is we let the Lord identify strongholds, parts of our soul that have not yet been healed, that make us available to be played like a fool or like a fiddle or like a marionette. And we're not, we're not aware of it. Once we really start to get to know our identity in Christ and we see the big, loving, incredible, powerful Jesus that's real, once we know we're righteous in him and our conscience is clean, once we get to know who the Father is and what he's like and begin to recognize that he's the voice of love, never condemnation, once we really know who he is and start to f- figure out who we are, and we stop saying dumb stuff that the gospel denies, like, I'm a sinner with an innate and permanent tendency to sin until the day I die. And we start to agree with God that says, in that cross I died, and I'm no longer a slave to sin, Romans 6.11, and so many other passages. And that actually I wake up a son with a tendency to do right, and that sin can come against me, but from now on, I'm able to recognize my steady state is actually love, joy, and peace. Now when I walk into an environment and suddenly things try to get on me, they can't fool me into thinking they're coming from me. Because I know who I am. I'm brand new. I'm walking by faith and I believe the gospel. But if I don't know who I am, then when things come against me, I think, oh, I must not be brand new at all. Because some of us think to be tempted is to sin already. And Jesus was tempted in every way without sin. Some of us think that to struggle with our self-worth is proof we have issues. What if you have a strategic attack coming against you in that area and you're actually way better than you feel? One day I was driving out of this parking lot, I'm in my car, and I, and I can't remember what the issue was that I was feeling. Notice the word feeling. I can't remember what the issue was that I was feeling and I just shook my head and I said, Lord, I'm such a mess. I need so much more healing. And without any hesitation, Jesus said, don't believe the lie. And I said, what lie? And he said, you're healthier than you feel. See, what happens is when the enemy tries to slime us, I'm holy and blameless in his sight and without a single blemish, Colossians. I'm brand new on the inside. 
My heart is tender toward the Lord. I'm not hard-hearted and stubborn. I'm receptive and responsive to the Lord. Why? Because he did that in me. He put his spirit in me. He took out my stony heart that's rebellious and stubborn and needs, its, needs to have its own way, needs to have all the answers, leans on its own understanding. He took that heart out in my conversion, and he put in a responsive, tender heart, says Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Paul, obviously. He's cut away my sinful nature, Colossians, again, and put in me a right and willing spirit. But some of us, some of us so don't know the gospel yet. We think the gospel is pray a prayer, get to heaven. No, no, no. The gospel is our, is our daily. We live by this gospel daily. We live in this gospel daily. And once we really know who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus and what the cross and resurrection and spirit of God accomplished, now we can begin to recognize the spiritual climate around us that's trying to come at us and others and not be as fooled by it, but begin to discern it. And some people, when they come into an environment and they discern, oh, there's just yuckiness in this room. There's just, oh, there's yuckiness in this room. Okay, that's one level of spiritual alertness. But have you guys ever noticed that it's one thing to be spiritual, aware of climates, aware of atmospheres, and it's another thing to know how to walk in them like Jesus did? I've had people say some weird, goofy stuff to me. I've had people deliver false prophecies to me of condemnation and guilt and labeling me something I'm not. I've had people pray wonderful prayers over me and then come back later and say, I could tell you didn't receive it. When actually I was there inside of me and I loved the prayer. It was a beautiful prayer. It was a beautiful prayer. And I was nodding my head and going, that is good stuff. Then months later, the person, I could tell that when I prayed that, you didn't receive it. That's so not Jesus. That's so not gospel. That's so not the Father. That's so judgmental and yucky and ew. Those are the kind of things that make people go, I'm never going to a charismatic church. C.S. Lewis says that the evil one tries to send deception into the world in pairs to get us off the path of Jesus. Here's Jesus' path, straight and true and in the center. I hate the word balance, but it is balanced. Grace and truth. Speaking the truth in love. Right here. Not so much love, gooey, 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 squishy love with no truth in it. Right? Not so much truth, but there's... You know? And not so spiritual that whatever I feel is true. But no, we're, we're using our senses, and then we're, then we're going deeper than the senses. Okay, Father, what are you saying about this? We want to know what the weather patterns are on earth, but we're not living by the weather, weather patterns on earth because we're not seated on earth. We're seated in Christ in heavenly realms far above. Linda was quoting this to me the other day. Far above all rule and authority and power. Again, I think that's Colossians. There's, do you know there's even a balance in the gospel? Did you, have you noticed, if you read the epistles, they emphasize the resurrection as much as the cross. That's fascinating to me. There's churches that emphasize that Jesus died, but don't emphasize that he rose, and he did both to save us, and they both bring an aspect of power and kingdom to us. We were raised up with him. It's kind of like, we know we were forgiven, but we don't know what for. He didn't just die so we could be forgiven. He, he died so we could be forgiven so that we could enjoy fellowship with him and live the life we were created to live, right? Here's what I'm trying to get at. Here's Jesus coming into an environment that's chock full of grief and emo- human emotion, well-meaning sympathy, and they're like, it's over, there's no point. And he acknowledges it, and he even, he even responds to it. I think the way he responds to it is he sends the crowds away. And he doesn't let them come in the room. 
He's not determined. His actions are not determined or limited by. You, did you know there's times when Jesus healed people who were in unbelief? Because <gasps> we, we have this thing where we're like, I was praying for so-and-so, but, but they wouldn't receive it. What? There's times when I prayed for someone and I was surprised that it worked. He's not limited by the principles of the Bible. Because the biggest principle of the whole Bible is God's good. And mercy triumphs over judgment. He's better than his principles. He's even better. That doesn't give me an excuse not to walk in faith. But even if I am walking in such a tiny, pathetic measure of faith, he can overshadow that. But here's, here's really the point I'm trying to make. The atmospheres are real, but if we're going to be led by the Spirit, the balanced path is to acknowledge the spiritual climate we're in and coming into and trying to navigate but not be defined by it, not be deceived by it, and not get under it. Oh, I can't have peace in my house because my spouse doesn't have peace. I'm not saying that the school of peace is fun. I had a lady pray that over me. Oh, my word, you guys. This lady came to me, and she said, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. The Lord's enrolling you in a school of peace, and I just wanted to slap her. Because you know what that means. You know what's coming. If I'm in a school of peace, it means my circumstances are going to challenge and be the opposite. That means... A school of peace means the circumstances are going to be not peace. And I'm called to have peace anyway. That's what a school means. It's to put you through hard things that test and challenge you so that you know whether you get it or don't. I was like, oh, I want to slap you. And that's exactly what happened. I went in through a season where my heart was going into palpitations if I had the slightest bit of anxiety. I mean, it was crazy. It was like, it was like God took, you, you know those little instruments, the Geiger counter that tests for radioactivity and it clicks? It was like the, my heart palpitations were connected to my emotional state. And if I did anything other than tranquility, it would start to skip beats. And finally I said, Carrie, um, I don't want to alarm you or anything, but let's come, come into the walk-in closet. I need to talk to you. And I say, I, you know... Not to be the bearer of bad news or anything, but I'm definitely dying. I definitely have a heart problem. And I looked online and I saw that I have like five of the seven major symptoms of a big, bad heart problem. And she goes, let's calm down and let me... So she gets her stethoscope and she's thinking it's going to disprove me. She's thinking rationally what has happened to Tim is his anxiety has got the best of him. He did that dumb thing that we do where we Google and go to WebMD, and then we tell our friends to go ahead and figure out what songs we want them to sing at our funeral. So she gets the stethoscope out, and she's like, oh, that's not right. She said, okay, every time you feel it go out of rhythm, just raise your hand. And I was like, and then I start thinking about it going out of rhythm and, and it, skipping beats and locking up. How many of you know that causes even more stress? Like when you can't sleep? Because you can't sleep. I got I to gotta sleep, I got to sleep, I got to sleep, I got to sleep. Oh, I can't sleep because I got so stressed about not being able to sleep. And it was like that for a while. It was like months. And I'm sitting there and I'm trying to prepare for a sermon, stress, palpitations. Finally, I put two and two in together and I go, wait a minute, it's that school of peace prayer. I still want to slap that lady. How dare you pray blessings on my head? You know, it really reminds me of the lady who comes up for prayer and she says... Oh, pastor, you got to pray for me. My husband just pushes all my buttons. And the pastor says, Father, remove all of her buttons. 
excuse me, <laughs> my husband needs to change. And the pastor says, I bet it's not about your husband. You're right, he does need to change. But you can't change him. You sure can cooperate with the Holy Spirit and change you. She's locked and loaded to aim the gun at the husband in prayer. We're going to fix him. We're going to fix him today. Like the husband who goes to counseling with his wife. Oh, my word. He was a military man. She was a sensitive girl. You know what I mean? She's got sensitive and fragile and emotions. Lots of words about feelings. He only has two emotions, angry and asleep. And they're in counseling, and she talks for like 40 minutes, and it's all about how he's mean and doesn't care and is insensitive and doesn't remember and doesn't take good care of her heart. And he's just looking the whole time like, she's still talking. <laughs> Finally, when she's done, he, he says, can you fix her? <laughs> oh, there was an older man, and I sat down, and I was talking about a conflict my wife and I were having, and I was talking about how we dealt with it. The older man, he was in his 80s, and I said, how, would you, how did you handle this with your wife when you guys were going through stuff like this? He goes, it sounds to me like you're a lot healthier than me because I just would sort of leave her alone until she wasn't mad anymore. <laughs> I'm like, what? You just don't talk? Yep. She's scary. <laughs> the school of peace and the palpitations. So I'm trying to prepare for a sermon. I open the Bible. I start to get ideas. I start to get up. You know, because preparing for a sermon is something that I, I get up for. I get prayed up, I get studied up, and I get the ideas out there, and then I start to organize them into the powerful Holy Spirit preacher mode. And my palpitations went crazy, and I was like, all right, okay, this is dumb. How am I supposed to even function in this school? And he goes, pay attention to what you were thinking when the palpitations started. I said, what? Pay attention to what you were thinking. What were you thinking? I said, I don't know. I was thinking, I really got to make sure that it's good. Hmm, interesting. So you have to make sure that it's good. Why? Well, because if it's bad, I'll be dishonoring you and misrepresenting you to your people, and then they can't be healthy, and then it'll be all my fault. Wow. What's wrong with that? Yeah, that's not how I prepared it for ministry. The Lord is telling me this. That's not how I prepared him for ministry. You ever thought about that? How did Jesus prepare for ministry? How do I, how do I prepare to be, to be helpful? Apparently, I get real stressed out about making sure it's not bad. And I didn't even notice. You know what he said? I said, I, I, got, I actually got frustrated. And I said, okay, fine then, Lord. What are you thinking as we prepare to minister? Full disclosure, I was in the bathtub while this whole conversation was going on. How do you prepare, Lord? He says, oh, I'm just looking forward to how much fun we're about to have together. He's not stressed at all. Jesus is just looking forward to Tim and Jesus ministering together. He's like, oh, it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be good. And I'm like, <clears throat> wait a minute, Lord. See, so you're saying that there's not supposed to be even any stress there's not any getting up for it and worrying about it with extreme effort, maximum effort. No. Walk with me, enjoy me. Look forward to how good it's going to be. So the school ended when I realized there was two medications that I was on for asthma that were messing with each other. And I ain't used the one since. 
but I learned a lot. I wonder if certain people are high strung like that, like without medications, and they have to go into that school. They have to renew their mind. They have to, to evaluate what they're thinking and stay in a place of trust, stay in a place of tranquility. We all do, but some people are so much more sensitive to this out here. Some people don't go to Walmart because they're actually prophetic, and they never knew. They just thought that they go through panic attacks when they go to Walmart. They didn't realize that they have a spiritual gift. So they can't go into Walmart, they think. And I'm like, I bet we can. I bet we can get to the place where we know who Jesus is and we know who we are. And then, first we got to learn how to recognize what's us and what's not, but then we got to learn how to war sufficiently. And Linda and I are going to try to make a second run at a video where we talk about this kind of daily spiritual warfare thing. Because God's given us tools. So Linda and I are talking about this thing of these spiritual atmospheres. And one of the things we've noticed is sometimes in here, I look around the room and I'm like, everybody here that I'm looking at seems to love Jesus. And we're talking about how in here sometimes there's a climate that says, meh. Do you know what I'm talking about? A climate of whatever. And it'll come at me and say, there's not even a point to preaching. Shut up, nobody cares. And I look around the room and I'm looking at people who love me and who love Jesus and who want me to preach good. So I'm like, wait a minute. It's an enemy trying to sow something in in our environment. Now, there's two ways we could handle that. We could say, I'm not going to be defined by that. I came hungry. I came prepared. I have marching orders from the Father. That's good and healthy and true. And then there's an even maybe better way to handle it too. And that is invite y'all to shift it with me. And under my breath, I say, spiritual lethargy. I do not receive you. I break you in Jesus' name. I make no agreement with you. Then I prophetically use my authority in Christ to declare, I declare zeal in this house. Wake up in Jesus' name. We got weapons. I've said a lot. I've said a lot. And we're going to talk about this hopefully for a little while. But this is what it means. Jesus brought the kingdom. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the evil one. So he was, he was doing battle with, the, with this dominant spirit that rules people secretly, it, 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 you know, invisibly. And it was a spiritual war. He was very aware. I started asking God about this. God, why do you let us see this stuff if it's so discouraging and distracting? Isn't it discouraging and distracting? Stan says, okay, let's talk to God about that. I said, I agree. So we start asking God, God, why do you let us see and sense spiritual stuff that's distracting? Because I know we're not to live by our feelings, right? So why do we have them? And the Lord brought me, took me to Mark chapter 3, verse 5. There's a guy with a hand problem. His hand's unfunctioning. It's withered is the word the Bible uses. You've seen this where tendons are are cut and things are wrong and the hand's all cramped up. And it's the Sabbath, so the Pharisees are like furious because that's what they do. They show up to watch Jesus to accuse him because they're not there to bring the kingdom. They're there to... (laughs) So annoying. And Jesus said, it says, Mark, Mark 3, verse 5, And Jesus looked around at them angry and grieved at their hardness of heart. Can you imagine if every sermon Jesus ever preached was just angry and grieved and there was no healing of the man just yelling at the... Hardness of heart. Do you get what I'm saying right now? He acknowledged it and he didn't like it, but he wasn't led by it and it didn't stop him. And he healed the man. Stretch forth your hand. 
oh, that story really helped me because I was like, Lord, it's so distracting. And the Lord's like, I see it too, and I didn't like it either, but I wasn't led by it. And then there's times when he perceived in his spirit what they were muttering in their heart. They didn't even say it out loud, and he got discernment of what they were saying, and he would literally respond to it out loud. You ever done that? I love that stuff. And just the fact that we're talking about it right now, you're going to start to perceive things this week that you maybe haven't before. Again, so important for us to know who Jesus is, that he's, he's Lord, he's in no way intimidated by evil, they're intimidated by his presence. He shows up, they run and fall at his feet and beg mercy. So you got to know who he is, the greatness of Jesus, know who you are in Christ, and if there's issues, let him heal you. Come get more prayer. Let him expose lies, remove and heal lies, heal wounds, replace with truth. Figure out a steady state of love, joy, peace. Peace, peace. So that you can recognize what's not you, but what's coming at you. Learn how to go into an environment, recognize the atmosphere is not Jesus. And instead of going, oh, this is gross. I don't want to be in here. Me neither. That's one of the things Linda and I were talking about is we both have issues with Walmart. I said, I feel like I need to take a shower after I leave Walmart. I think it's something that comes against people in there. There's a thing, and it wants people to feel like crap, wants people to feel like they're worthless, wants people to feel like their life's always going to be a mess, wants people to feel low and dirty, wants wants people to get permission to sin because nothing matters, screw it. This kind of reminds me of the whole thing of Christians fleeing the cities, fleeing the schools, and fleeing the battle so that we can hide in a corner, build little Christian things, and live in a colony until Jesus swoops down and raptures us. Instead of moving into the godless city, the worse, the better. Buying a house, going to these schools, working in these businesses and praying for the peace of Babylon, like Jeremiah and the other good figs, because the good figs are the ones that were taken and the bad figs were left behind. Weird, right? The good figs went into exile. I'm just quoting Old Testament, friends. But how can you thrive in that bad spiritual environment If you're just like, ew, I'm out of here. It's yucky in here. And the whole American church hopping, church shopping thing is like built on that. I didn't like the climate in that one church. Dude, I get it. I get it. But where am I called? What fight am I called into? And who am I called? How am I called to be a part of the solution? And just real quick, here's some weapons for your warfare. Who is Jesus? Who are you in Jesus? The word. Those are all built on the word. So the word is your main weapon. The word, the word, the word. How about this one? Prayer, prayer. Your prayers are powerful. You can shape the world through prayer. How about this one? Worship. Man, I had a friend in college and he was manifesting a demon. He was wrestling and freaking out. He was not in his right self. He wasn't even capable of communicating. It looked like he was wrestling something on the bed invisibly. And my one friend came and ran and got me and said, I'm not going to name his name. So-and-so's in trouble. We need your help. So I was, in the, I was in the chapel, and they ran and got me. I ran back, go to the dorm. I go up in there, and he's freaking out, freaking out, rolling and whatnot. Of course we're praying. Of course we're laying hands on him. We have no clue what's going on. We've never seen this before, except we read about it in the Bible. You know what I mean? We read about it in the Bible, and we know that Jesus is Lord, and he has authority. And we know that we have been sent in his name with his authority to carry his authority and to enforce his will using his name as though we are deputies and he's the sheriff. Jesus is the sheriff. We are the deputies and we got a little star that says deputy and we pin it on. Actually, it says says Jesus. And we're here in his name carrying his authority and enforcing his will. And we have a gun and that's Holy Spirit. 
So we have a badge and we have a gun. We have authority and we have power. We knew this from the Bible. We read it in the book. So we just were dumb enough to think we could do it because he said so, and it worked. Now, it took longer than we expected, and that kind of freaked us out. What we finally did that worked the best was while we also had hands on him and were praying in Jesus' name and commanding that critter to get, somebody grabbed a guitar, started gently strumming on it a peaceful song and singing to Jesus. And when that happened, the critter freaked out, calmed down, and got out of the way. And then we could talk to our friend. And then we said, what doors did you open? You opened a door. Devils have no authority to come into your house unless you welcome them in or make an agreement or make a partnership with some kind of lie or some kind of sin. What door did you open? And he admitted the door, the sin area in his life that he had opened and walked in that opened him up to the demonic. And he admitted he had an occult past. We invited him in a, in a repentance prayer and receiving the Lord's forgiveness. And then we had him talk to the school's leaders because when you step out from under authority and rebel against authority, every, one, every time you do that, you're opening yourself to demonic stuff. Rebellion is very closely aligned with witchcraft. And oh my word, the leaders, this was at Rosedale Bible College, conservative Mennonite school. And the guy who met with this gentleman was named Walter Beachy, a little, little pot belly, a little Mennonite beard, and sweet little Mennonite words, and he always a happy little guy. And he sat down with my friend, and he gave, and I was kind of concerned. I was like, you know, my stereotype of Mennonites, I was afraid he was going to be legalistic. I was afraid he was going to be religious. Do you know what I'm talking about? Guys, he was pure grace. He was pure Holy Spirit-led love and grace. He was gentle. He was redemptive. He didn't even institute consequences. He, he understood this kid's sorry enough as is. The sin brought its own negative consequences. I don't need to punish. I want to lead an activation prayer, unless you want to lead an activation prayer. Okay. Do you know what I mean by activation prayer? We're going to invite, you are going to invite the Holy Spirit to open your spiritual eyes to begin to perceive more clearly than before the fight you're in, And not just that, because that alone would be dangerous, but along with that, to open your eyes to the greatness of Jesus in a fresh way, to the authority you have in Jesus in a fresh way, and to begin to teach you how to shift the atmosphere and the environment without coming under it. Because when we come under it, we can't help, right? We come under it, it's like we go, oh, this place isn't open to you today, Lord, and then we just, oh. And then we blame other humans for it not being open and give up on going with God, not realizing that I'm now judging everyone else while excusing myself, but I'm actually partnering with the same thing. Whoops. All right, so let's go ahead and stand. So just repeat after me. Father, open the eyes of my understanding to see the spiritual world around me, but to see you greater. Teach me the greatness of Jesus. Teach me my authority in Christ. Show me what it means to be at peace. Teach me to recognize what's not me. Take me on this journey. Speak to me through my senses. Speak to me through dreams. And keep me in your, ho- in your hope. I don't just want to be spiritual. 
I want to be spirit-led. Amen.